going to come to you and he's going to say, oh, wait a minute. I need you to make a report because you are no longer mine. That's what he's saying. He says, you're fired. What I have asked you to do, you were not doing it. I believe there's a couple of churches in Revelations that God came to them and said, if you don't change, I'm going to remove your candlestick. He looks at us as Christians and he's telling us, he says, uh, there will be a day that I am going to come to you and I am going to ask you, what are you doing with what I have given to you? Now, let's make no means and no, let's, let's not try to sugarcoat this. Okay, yes, this has to deal with our possessions. And yes, this has to do with the talents that he gives to us. But the most important thing that he gives to us is salvation. And if we're not doing what he wants us to do with it, what he calls for us to do with it, That kind of takes me. I, I have to step back because, uh, you know, it's a gift that he gives to us. And we, we hear all of these, you know, stories about, uh, you know, not being able to lose your salvation. God's not going to take it from you. But we can forfeit it. So I don't believe the manager is coming here and saying that he is going to take our salvation. But we have forfeited our salvation because we have not done with it what God has required of us. That is just like the story of the talents. Where the one just simply buried him in the backyard. And what did the manager do there? Took him. And gave the talents to someone else. I, I want y'all to know. That I am a prime example. Of wasted talent. That has been removed. Whenever we graduated from, from high school, I did graduate from high school. I graduated from college too, but it took quite a while. But anyway, so our service, uh, you know, I went to a Baptist academy, so our service was in the church. And it was done on a Sunday morning. So there was seven of us that came in and we sat on the front pew. And we got to listen to the preacher give a 13-page service for us it was not a quick ceremony and there was only seven of us but I was in the choir so there was three other young ladies that was graduating with us and they were in the choir so uh, you know our choir teacher said hey why don't y'all sing a song so we sung the song friends are friends forever and it was supposed to be all four of us singing. The girls started crying about the second or third word in. So it turned into a solo. 
but I had a voice. And y'all have heard me sing happy birthday. Y'all know I no longer have that voice. And I did. I quit singing. I no longer sung. But God will take it from us. You know, he'll take the talent from us. I think I need to move on into the, into the message. Whenever we look at the story about the shrewd manager, we get this understanding how you know that there is going to be a time that we will be accountable to what God has given to us. Accountability. The thing about it is, is that the accountability is, in fact, the salvation that we receive as a gift. But the accountability also deals with all of the other aspects that's in our lives as far as what God has graciously blessed us with. You know, so we see this accountability. Uh, You know, the reason why I am accountable to God. So why are we accountable to God? It should be right there in the passage of Scripture. Okay? It's because He's the master and I'm just simply the manager. He owns it. He's just letting me deal with it and manage it. It's His. The master has expectations. He has expectations of us. Of the things that we do, the things that we don't do. So there's five areas. I believe there's five areas that the manager expects or has expectations. Or the employer, the master, has expectations of the managers. Before we get into there, being that this is Memorial Day, I figured that this would be a good time for this a little story for you. Uh, you know, so there's this uh, you know, young gentleman, and he's learning how to be a paratrooper. Uh, you know, so he's gone through his basics training, and they've had him up on the wall uh, you know, to where he's jumped down off of that wall. Now, how many of y'all have been through that? Anybody in here been through learning how to be a paratrooper? No? Okay. Uh, yeah? See? So, uh, you know, whenever you're doing that, they, they put you up on this big wall, Okay, and you're supposed to jump off of this wall so that you can handle and get used to the jerking of the harness and stuff as it jerks you somewhere around halfway down. Uh, you know, now, when my, uh, after my senior year, but before I went off to college, I did insulation at a plant. Uh, you know, so I put insulation around all these steam pipes in a, uh, a paper mill. We were up on top of one of these storage tanks and we were spraying out insulation one time. Uh, you know, and the gentleman that was spraying the insulation, I was just moving his hose around. That was a difficult job. Uh, you know, he hit a, uh, you know, a wasp nest. Well, he didn't cover the wasp nest. He just kind of hit half of it. Uh, you know, so he looks at me and he says, run. So I was like, where am I going to run? Uh, you know, so I just ran and we had to jump off of the side of this tank. Now, this tank was about 95 feet up in the air. So somewhere around 35 to 40 feet this harness that was tied to the top of the tank, all of a sudden caught hold. Oh, golly. I thought it was going to break me in half. But at least I didn't get any wall stings. 
Now, whenever I slammed up against the side of that tank, I thought the wasp sting might have been a little bit better than being slammed up against the side of that tank. But anyway, that's what they do. They send you up. You jump off of this thing, uh, you know, so that it jerks you and you kind of get used to that. So he'd pass all of that and then he gets onto the train or the train. He gets onto the airplane, uh, you know, so, you know, they're taking off. And as they're getting up to their elevation for the jump, uh, you know, his, uh, you know, officer, the guy that was in charge of him, he said, okay, he said, now, he said, whenever you jump, count to 10, pull your rip cord. He says, if that cord happens to not open the chute, go ahead and pull the second cord. And he said, there's going to be a truck that's going to be down there waiting for you. He says, I got it. They reach their altitude. Guys start piling out of that airplane. Gets his turn. He jumps. He counts to 10. Pulls that cord. Nothing happens. Pulls that second cord. Nothing happens. And he goes, huh, I bet you there's not going to be a truck down there waiting for me either. <laughs> Expectations. You know, there's a lot of expectations in our lives. We have expectations as far as our marriages and how they're supposed to go. Uh, we have expectations of our children and how our children are supposed, to, are supposed to act, right? How many of your children act the way that you expect them to act? I don't know if that... Marcus raised, your, raised his hand. Good job, Alex. <laughs> Renee did <laughs> But there's expectations. Uh, you know, we have expectations as far as what our job's supposed to be like. Uh, you know, let's face it. We have expectations as far as what our church is supposed to be like. And what it's not supposed to be like. Uh, you know, we have expectations on our friends. Whenever you go out to Longhorn, what's that expectations? Is it, is it high? Or is it, well, it'll be okay. Tie. Oh, Charlie's. My expectations of Oh, Charlie's is way up here. I go to Oh, Charlie's quite a bit. That's why it's way up here. <laughs> so there's five things that I believe that our manager is really has real expectations about. You know, the first one that we look at is it's just simply ourselves. He expects something of us, just simply of our selves, who we are, how we act, what we do, where we go, what we say, who we're with, who we're not with. There's expectations of those. Uh, we look at Romans chapter 12 verse 1. In Romans chapter 12 verse 1, this is the one that we go here. It says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So ourselves here, Romans talking to that, we are supposed to give ourselves, our whole being, our whole person over to God. That our bodies will then be a living sacrifice to Him. So the people that we talk with, the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we eat, where we go, all of those things are supposed to be given unto God. We are not supposed to be in a place if we wouldn't ask God to go there with us. We are not supposed to say something if we wouldn't want God to hear it. 
We're not supposed to eat. We're not supposed to hang out with somebody that God doesn't want us to hang out with. See, that really gets, to me, that kind of gets into this point that says, well, uh, you know, Pastor, uh, you know, you can't help who you fall in love with. Hmm. Hmm. How many of you, and I just simply ask this, don't raise your hand. How many of you married someone and you were unevenly yoked? As in you were a Christian and they were not a Christian. Or how many of you married someone and you were not a Christian and they were unevenly yoked? That gets into this situation and stuff and you say, well, pastor, my marriage is really good now. Well, most probably both of you have gotten saved by then. Well, let's deal with this. Since I've already opened up that can, I've got to deal with it, right? God has someone chosen for you. And the times, there are times in our lives that we choose to allow lust to get into the way of the person that God has truly called us to be with. So pastor, if I don't feel in love with the person I'm with now, does that mean that I need to divorce that person and go search for my soulmate? Absolutely, positively not. God will give you the grace to work through it. God will work in your life and in their life. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 gives us another view of this ours as far as ourselves. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's not us any longer. Before we go on any further. What we're talking about and the trust that we're talking about. I believe that we need to look at it in a brand new fashion this morning. Because there's some... And I say some, and I'm going to look up into the stars so that nobody thinks I'm talking about them. But some, I believe that they feel that they have truly given their all to God, but they really haven't because they're still telling God that I'm yours as long as you do it this way. Or God, I give you all of my life because, you know, I don't have any unsaved people as friends any longer. Uh, you know, I, I go to church all this time and I, and I do all this stuff for you. Uh, you know, that's, that might not be the all of yourself that God's requiring. Because there are times that we go to church all this time and we do all of these things and we no longer have non-Christian friends and all that stuff is really good, but we still have a bad heart when we're doing it. So we need to look at this anew this morning because, you know, the way that we give our all is so that it is a living sacrifice to God because it's not me that's living it, it's Him that's living it through me. 
so my all that I have to give, it's, it's not really even mine to begin with. It's His. Because I've already died out. And if I've died out, it's a whole lot easier to be that living sacrifice. But that living sacrifice also has a different meaning to it. Because it no longer actually means a sacrifice that I have to give something up. Let's move on. I believe he has expectations as far as our possessions. Our possessions, money, car, clothes, house, those things. Oh, wait a minute. What about your spouse? Do we not possess our spouses? Ah. We don't possess them as in possessions, but we possess them as in they're our spouses. So they're supposed to be gods as well, right? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure that y'all were coming along with me. Because children's right there in there with it. Oh, golly, here you go. Time. Our time. God has expectations as far as how we deal with that and what we do with our time. Every single person is given the same amount of time. Whenever I read, I, I wish I would have, I wish I would have typed it down now. Because there's a gentleman that actually went in and did a study and said that, okay, if we live seven score and ten year or ten score and seven years, is that is that however you're supposed to live? I think it's like seventy some odd years. Four score and seven years. Okay. There you go. See, I, I should have typed it out. I should have typed it out. But he had it broken down. Uh, you know, in how many years that we would do each thing in our lives. Do you know that we sleep over half our lives away? <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> that wasn't a surprise to me. <laughs> One bit. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, the other thing was is how long we stayed at work. Uh, you know, how much of our lives, uh, you know, is spent at work. Uh, you know, and then he broke it down as far as how much our li- of our lives are spent with family. How much of our lives are spent with friends and all of this. And I was like, wow. You know, but we all have the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours a day. Uh, you know, but I, I, I'm one of the ones that believe that if we give our time to God, that somehow we're able to get more done in that 24 hours than what we would if we wouldn't have given Him that time. There's just something in that. Ephesians, uh, you know, chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 It says, so be careful on how you live. Do not live like fools, but live but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. 
I've really begun to pray, especially since, uh, you know, Wednesday night's message, whenever I gave you all that uh, prayer to pray, uh, you know, that God would give me the opportunity to be a witness to someone. Uh, you know, we just simply ask for the opportunity. And God will provide it for us. Uh, you know, we ask for the opportunity to be His hands and His feet, to be the light of the world. Uh, and God will provide those opportunities. But we have to be ready for them. Uh, you know, it's kind of weird that sometimes we ask for those opportunities and they come along and we don't do anything with them. We just allow those opportunities to pass us by. Uh, you know, the other thing in, the, you know, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it talks about our gifts. Each one should, should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So the gifts that we have and the gifts that we are given all too often, I think that we look at these things and we think that they're gifts that are given to us so that we can have a better life. But this passage of Scripture right here talks about the fact that the gifts that we are giving is so that we could administer them to other people. So that we can use the gifts that we have to improve or to help other people's lives. The gifts that we're giving are not so that we could prosper even more. I think this fifth expectation might be a surprise to you unless you've already seen it up on the screen. It's his gospel. You know, see, we look at this and we think about the gift and that we have a gift and that he has given to us as far as our salvation. But he has given to us his gospel. It's his gospel. It's his story. And we are supposed to tell his story. We are supposed to let the world know all about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and what he is doing for us and what he is doing in us. It's his story. It's his gospel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 says, On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. There's all too often. I don't know. I can't say there that... There, it's all too often. Whenever I was growing up in youth group, uh, we had David Presley, uh, Elvis Presley's uh, stepbrother. And it was Elvis Presley's bodyguard that actually found him in the bathroom, uh, you know, dead from the overdose, that still had the needle in his arm. He was going around doing a revival, uh, you know, in Louisiana at this time. And uh, you know, so he came to the church that we were at. David Presley's testimony was 95% about the bad in his life and 5% about what God had done for him. See, that's David Presley's story. That's not God's story. That's not the gospel. 
So we need to make sure that whenever we are spreading the gospel and we are giving our testimony, that we need to understand that it should be the opposite way around. It should be 5% about my life and 90, 95% about Jesus' life and what he's done for us. It's his story. It's his gospel. So I said that there were three keys that we would get from this passage of Scripture so those were the five expectations that we get that we have, uh, you know, that the manager has, or the employer or the master has of us as managers, uh, you know, of what he has given to us. Uh, you know, so the second, uh, you know, uh, key that we find with the shrewd manager is, uh, you know, is the assessment. It says the manager said to himself, "What shall I do now?" My master has taken away my job. I am not strong enough to dig ditches, and I am too proud to beg. <laughs> Assessment. How often do you assess your walk with Christ? How often do you assess what God has given to you and what you have done with it? Whenever you assess yourself and look at what you've done with what God has given to you, do you find yourself waiting? Do you find yourself falling a little short? Do you find in the back of your mind you hear these words that says, you know what, I really think that God wants you to do a little bit more with this talent that he's given to you. I'm going to be as bold as to say, if you do not hear that word, you're not listening good enough. Because we should never be satisfied with where we are in our walk with Christ. We should always be hungry and always be thirsty. We will never come to a point or should never come to a point in our lives, in our relationship with Christ, that we just simply throw our arms up in the air and we say, whew, I'm done. Not until we take our last breath are we done. There will always be something that he requires or that he needs for us to do. But the thing about it is, is that we need to be sober with that assessment. Because we can also be too harmful on ourselves. I get that way quite often. We had a pastoral prayer retreat at the district camp one time. And they had a uh, prayer, they had prayer stations that were set up. And we were supposed to go into the sanctuary and we were supposed to go from one station to the next station and pray in those stations specific things. That first night that we were there, that Friday night that we were there, it dealt with taking an assessment of your life. Each station that we went to had us looking deep into our lives. I want you to know by the time I got to the second station, I was so depressed that I couldn't go any further. That I stayed there. 
for the rest of that night. It got me so bad that whenever I got up in the morning, the next morning, to go and finish out the next uh, you know, prayer chain or prayer walk, I couldn't go. Because I was still contemplating. I was still searching. I was still assessing myself. And I couldn't move on. Because there were so many little things that I didn't feel adequate about. So we have to be sober in our assessment. We can't allow ourselves to look so badly upon ourselves that we, that we can't move any further. Uh, you know, because although we, we fail God quite often, there's still a lot of good things that He does with us, for us, and through us. And we can't neglect that. We have to be able to take it in stride. The second thing, or the third thing that we find in this Scripture that we have to look at as far as us and as far as the managers that we are, is that this needs to move us to action. We know that God is going to come and He is going to take an assessment. He is going to look at us uh, you know, and He is going to see how we are and what we have done. There comes a time in our lives that we need to look within ourselves to see where we are. But those two things should should move us to action. If whenever you look at yourself, you don't witness to somebody or you don't witness to people enough, it should move you to witness to people more often. If your prayer life is a little short, it should move you to increasing your prayer life. Not just simply saying, oh, well, that's where it's at. That's where it's going to stay. We need to do something with it. In verse 5, we find these words. He calls each one of his masters debtors. So he called each one of the people in. See, he did something. He saw it here. He assessed himself. And then he went to action. Now, the actions that he did, I struggle with those. Uh, you know, the manager commended him for them. Uh, you know, but I'm not really sure because those were dishonest things that he did. One gentleman owed him olive oil. 800 gallons, I think it was. And he said, cut it down to four. The other one owed him a thousand bushels of wheat. And he said, cut that down to eight. Or to 800. So I'm not really sure on where that is. I would have problems you know, still trying to cheat God. But it moves us to action. Regardless of what it would be, regardless of how you look at those, it brings us to action. So the actions that we have this morning is that we have to use our opportunities wisely. Trust, trust needs to be earned. Before I move from there, 
Last week, if you remember, I said that trust, whenever we're trusting God, trust came first, right? Trust came first, and then the promise, and then the action. For us, we need to prove or we need to earn God's trust in us. Trust can be measured. God can measure how much we are trustworthy. Now, I think the biggest thing and the main thing is, is that we've got to be totally devoted to God. He's calling us to be trustworthy of what He's giving to us. If we're not totally devoted to Him, then we will misuse what He has given to us. Did you get it? Did we get that? If we are not totally devoted to God, we will misuse what He's given to us. Let's stand for dismissal. So as we continue with trust next week, we're going to take a test. I'll give you the answers to the test, so don't be scared. But we're going to take a test next week. Dealing with trust. Learning how we can build our lives to where we will be trustworthy of God. Let's bow our head as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for this morning. We thank you for all the things that you have done, and we thank you for the message that you have given to us. Uh, you know, God, I pray, dear Lord, that you would uh, speak to us throughout this week, and God, that we would become trustworthy. In Jesus' name, amen.